It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni. The 2016 election will be remembered for many things, but perhaps one of the most interesting outcomes will be the number of female candidates now running for office. While President Trump inspires many in his base, he has also inspired those who oppose him. The citizen candidate is an idea that harkens back to our founders, who initially envisioned politicians that would work their farms and then be called to session every so often to deal with governmental issues. That model seems quaint, as we see politicians whose entire lives are spent in the halls of our government. But perhaps now it is on the return. With us today is one such candidate, Emily Best, running for state senate in our District 30 to replace John Eichelberger. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry I can't be with you in the studio, but I'm glad we're able to work something out for this busy schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for getting us in. So let's start with just a little bit of background on you. Tell us kind of a little bit about your story. Sure. So um, I was born and raised in uh, Butler County in western Pennsylvania and attended University of Pittsburgh for my undergrad. I spent some time in my 20s uh, living and working overseas and then came back, got a master's degree in environmental policy, focusing on agricultural issues um, in Washington, D.C., Went back overseas in the Peace Corps in uh, West Africa and Senegal. And then I, I still really wanted to get my hands dirty um, and learn more about farming, um, especially local farming. Um, and so that's how I ended up in central Pennsylvania. I uh, started working at New Morning Farm, which is in um, southern Huntington County. I was an apprentice there um, and I worked in the field. I helped transplant um, weed, uh, harvest, pack different things, um, and I sold at our farmer's markets down in Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, I, I expected to get a job in policy, and so I, I just wanted to stay at the farm for one year and just get that experience and then move back to D.C., maybe to New York City, um, and, you know, get that, that office job um, helping in an NGO maybe. Uh, but as the season went on at the farm, I realized that I really, really loved my job there. And um, so I ended up staying there for four seasons um, and kind of settling in, in this area. And then after my fourth season, um, a position opened up at the cooperative um, called Tuscarora Organic Growers, of which New Morning Farm was a founding member. And um, so now I'm the general manager there and I've been there for over two years and now live in uh, McConnellsburg in Fulton County with my family. Um, I have two step- stepdaughters um, in grade school and a 15-month-old son and a partner who also works in agriculture. And, um, yeah, so, it, so it's been a long road, a little bit uh, circuitous getting to central PA and never expected to end up in a place like Fulton County, so rural um, but here I am, and yeah, I, you, I love living here. You thought you were going to be uh, walking up and down Fifth Avenue for fun. I, I, when I was growing up in Butler, I, you know, was really like wanting to get out of the small town right, and right. wanted to get to a city and, and have just more experiences. And, you know, I did that um, for several years yeah, and did, did a lot of traveling, saw a lot of different places and lived different places. Um, and then when I, when I got here in central PA, I just really fell in love and 
um, didn't really want to leave. And now, now it's, it's my home and you know, it, it is surprising to me that this is where I've ended <laughs> up, but this is, this is it. Yeah. Life has a way of doing that. So with everything yeah. you've, you've accomplished and all that you're involved in with a very busy family, a very busy career, why are you running for office now? Tell us the motivation. Many motivations. I've I've always believed in the power of policymaking. Um, it it can seem esoteric and and that it it doesn't really affect people, but it, I believe that it, it really does make a difference. Um, who's making policy? What their goals are? What their experiences are? Um, and and where they come from? And who they're representing? Um, and so I've believed that for a long time. And I think deep down, I think I always knew I would run for office someday. Um, I didn't really think it would be so soon. Um, but I, I think after the 2016 election, particularly, but even prior to that, I started realizing that even though I thought of myself as um, politically involved, because I you know, would volunteer on presidential campaigns, I'd knock doors, I'd make phone calls, I'd do donations. I realized that I wasn't paying attention to state faces very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought I was a good voter because I voted every four years and maybe sometimes in the primary even. But then I realized, like, wait, there's elections every year yeah. and I'm not showing up for them. And I thought I was politically involved. So if I'm not showing up, you know, there must be way more people who also, you know, aren't aren't tuning in at all. And so I started paying more attention and, and I realized, um, here in central PA, like many places in Pennsylvania, um, uh, there's too many uncontested races, yeah. um, especially at the state level, um, and even more locally, um, and that our state reps and state senators, um, once they become an incumbent, especially it's just like rubber stamp every two years, every four years. And there's no debate and, um, there's no, um, talking out the views there's no holding that legislator accountable right there's and no there's that, no pushback yeah and and so i think that um that that's a big motivation for me mm-hmm. um you know i can understand to a certain point um why a lot of folks in this area voted for donald trump you know there's a lot of things i disagree with him on of course but um you know i Speaking with people that I've worked with on the farm and and in the community, people are really fed up about a lot of things. And one of those things is that, you know, the government isn't serving the people very well anymore. Um, Maybe that's due to the money in politics, you know, gerrymandering. There's a lot of different issues. And I think that, you know, one of of Donald Trump's messages was that he was going to do it differently. And I think people are just fed up and they, they wanted something different and they felt, you know, a bit let down. Um, by Obama, um, and especially with health care, which we can talk about. Yeah, know, we can later. definitely get into that. Um, okay, yeah. I wanted to get to another question, and I think you're kind of moving towards addressing it. But I didn't mention this before, but you are running as a Democrat. So yeah. help us understand what your belief systems are regarding being a member of the Democrat Party. Yeah, so for me, I've... Um, let me just say my parents um, were are both small business people. My dad had his family um, insurance business, and my mom um, is in private practice as a licensed social worker doing therapy. Um, and I think especially with their their backgrounds and their, their outlooks, 
Um, you know, they always voted Democratic. That was how I was raised. But also, as I got older, I realized that that was the party that I felt represented me best. Mm-hmm. Um, that I really appreciated that it seemed like the Democrats do more to um, address issues of equality, um, address um, issues particularly for women and children, um, that they recognize that while the uh, private sector is very important in our country, that sometimes the private sector leaves people out and those are often the most vulnerable among us. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, um, but I have, have been a Democrat and I felt that, you know, it would be dishonest of me to, to switch parties um, due to the area where we live, due to the registration numbers, to try and run as something else. And so, you know, as a Democrat, I'm running as a Democrat. Yeah, and you'd also be contested in the primary, whereas where you're probably not being contested in, or you weren't contested in the primary. Also... It, the term is Democratic Party. <laughs> producer producer Jeremy was going to jump in there and me. you, Pete. <laughs> All right, lesson learned. My pet peeve. All right. Okay, so let's get into uh, some of the issues. Um, your constituents are coming to you, and they're bringing up health care. This is such yes. a big, tricky issue. Now, at the state level, which is where you'd be operating, what do you think you can truly affect and make happen for the citizens of Pennsylvania? Um, I think there's a lot of options that we have. One of them is um, building and then strengthening um, a Pennsylvania-based healthcare system. So we've seen it in states like Massachusetts, which, you know, when uh, Mitt Romney was the governor, he led uh, what would be the template for Obamacare Romneycare. in Massachusetts. Romney care, you know. And um, so I think that, that there are options for Pennsylvanians to look at to say, how can we provide better coverage to, you know, our citizens, our young, our kids, our um, senior citizens and folks who aren't covered through their jobs. And so I have a full time job. I've you know worked my whole adult life um, and I've actually never once had employer provided health insurance because of the fields that I've been working in. Um, and there's a lot of people who are left out of that system. And so I've been on, you know, the marketplace Obamacare since um, it was established pretty much. And over those years, I've become more and more frustrated with it as costs have gone up and, um, you know, the premiums have gone up, deductibles have gone up, um, and the options have been fewer and fewer each year because it's harder for the companies to work in it. Right. Um yeah, so I think that, you know, I would like Pennsylvania to look at what we could do as a state instead of working on this uh, federal marketplace. To yeah, see I agree. If there's ways, you know, we can provide better coverage that's um, not as expensive uh, for our, our citizens here. And additionally, um, I mean, there's just so many problems with Obamacare, you know, and I, I will say, you know, from, from the beginning, I was very supportive of it. And in many ways, I still am because I do believe that everybody should have um, coverage. Right. You know, nobody should be left out and, and feel like they can't go to the doctor. Or and end up just going to the emergency in room. That you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I think uh, part of, again, here's another issue, you know, our opioid crisis is partially, I think, because um, health 
care and particularly mental health care can be so inaccessible to people based on cost or based on the fact that the resources have been slowly cut and cut and cut that that you know there aren't providers located where we need them there aren't centers where we need them and so we're seeing what happens when we cut apart our you know healthcare coverage network so, so i think you know well, how do yeah, how ahead. do you respond to a constituent who adamantly opposes any form of socialized healthcare and i know you've got a lot of constituents that do Despite the yeah, fact that yeah. your district is not what we're going to call one of the wealthier districts in Pennsylvania, and I'm sure there's any number of Medicaid and Medicare recipients there. So what is your counter argument to everyone should fend for themselves or the old skin in the game argument that people want to bring up? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just had this discussion with a potential constituent just the other night, actually. And, and you know, the skin in the game thing, you know, I'm, I'm not against that. You know, I think that, um, you know, if folks, if there's some sort of sliding scale uh, type of fee structure, um, that to, to me makes sense. But I think it has to be comprehensive enough that it doesn't leave people out. And what we're seeing now, and my family actually went through this, where um, my partner, if he made too much money, he could not afford his right. health insurance premium. Right. But if he had like, you know, a couple hundred dollars less per month, then his premium would have been much, much less. Right, but it's that's like disincentivizing. Yeah, it's disincentivizing. It's like the welfare model: make too much money, lose benefits. Exactly, and so, so I think you know that's something that needs to be fixed. Now, as for folks who you know really don't want to be told um, what they should be getting, um, you know, I think that's that's really tough because in the insurance business, the bigger the pool, the better it is for everybody. Um, so it, it is hard to say, you know, in, in this type of region where, you know, individual, um, you know, liberty is, is really um, very important for some people to have. I think more than that, there's a lot of people out there who um, had care or had insurance previous to Obamacare's mandates coming in. And remember how Obama said you won't have to change your doctor you won't have are to you kidding how could we forget that they drilled it into our heads every day yes and people in this area they did have to change their doctor and they had to change their plan and it became more expensive and they lost choices and i think people remember that years later you know that they were lied to and they had to change something that was very important to them you know of course like your relationship with your doctor is very important and i think so, I mean, I think that it's a small minority of people who really, you know, don't want anything because I think people do recognize that, like, they need to go to the doctor sometimes and they need to have the care accessible to them, but they don't want to be forced to, like, pick a doctor that's in the next county. They don't want to be forced to have this, like, high premium. Um, they want to have something that makes sense for them. And so maybe that's part of how we move forward is making certain types of um, cheaper plans available that that actually are cheaper and not um, not that it's like the bronze plans on the marketplace which have a smaller premium but a huge deductible like we have to find a way to make this work for people and not make it so geared towards the insurance companies actually you know making these profits from it I think you just hit on the solution actually and that is get the insurance companies out of it 
Um, there's a lot yeah. of money going to the middlemen and not making its way to providers or people who need services. So, so yeah, we definitely agree with that. And I, I guess from my perspective, and I don't know what you think, Jeremy, but the analogy of having to purchase auto insurance, you want to drive, you got to have it. I right. mean, I don't understand why, you know, the same counter arguments could be made. Well, I don't want to have to pay for other people's accidents. Well, too bad. You are right now. Yeah. And so I don't really understand why that doesn't stick, especially from the fact of that this is your health. You know, this is at some point everybody is going to be having to use health care. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, especially in the in the rural parts of the district, people are really used to fending for themselves, which is um, something to be proud of in many ways. Um, and I think it's not so long ago that in these communities there might have been like a family doctor. And you paid what you could, or maybe you even bartered with them or something. It was less formalized. And as, as the system's modernized and becoming more, more uh, full of bureaucracy and it's becoming more expensive, I think that's also you know, what people are really pushing back on because that community aspect of, of care has um, been removed. Um, and... You know, I would like to see more community of care coming back into our region because I think, you know, part of the profit-driven aspect of our current healthcare system means that the rural areas become underserved because it's harder to make money there. Right, right. Um, Not enough and people. so, you know, we need to to figure out how do we get get it back to the place where you know you can see your you can call a doctor you know at any time um, or you can. You don't have to, like, make an appointment three weeks in advance um, or even just, like, you know, I have a young kid. He has gotten pink eye, and it's, like, if it happens on the weekend in McConnellsburg, your choices are go to the emergency room or you drive up and over the mountain and come over to the Chambersburg Urgent Care um, or you wait until and for, Monday morning. For those who don't know, that's a very long drive. Yeah, and it's in the winter, you know, you might not want to be on the mountain. Right. And so our system is just leaving people out, and it's um, it's making people turn against the system even more. And I think, mm -hmm. like, what we need and what uh, – in many issues in my campaign is, like, we need to figure out how to come back together, make things work for all of us, um, and, and just move forward with a lot of these things because where we're at now, it's just making people so frustrated – that they are just disengaging altogether mm. or they're they're casting votes that are very reactionary and saying like we need a big change let's just you know go with somebody who doesn't have um any type of experience in any of these issues um because they can be the ones to shake them up so yeah i mean healthcare is definitely one of my uh big three issues on the campaign trail because it really does affect me personally now are the are your opponents, uh, are they taking kind of the, the, the Trump line of Obamacare bad, let's get rid of it? I mean, how are they positioning themselves in this important debate? Um, I, you know, I can't really answer that. Um, there's two candidates on the Republican side. I've um, interacted much more with, um, with one of them and the other, I really haven't seen out on the campaign trail very oh, much. And so I, I actually don't really know what her position is. Okay. Very good. Answer is Medicaid for all. Um, I want to move on to, uh, another topic that I, at the, at the 
talk you gave or the meet and greet you had a couple weeks ago here in Chambersburg, um, one of the candidates brought up dairy farmers. I don't know if you recall that, uh, his argument about why he left the Democratic Party because they forgot about the small man. And I noticed on your Facebook page you you got into this situation. Can you talk a little bit about the what dairy farmers are experiencing in your area and what you might be able to do to remedy their issues? Yeah, so what's going on in um in dairy, but also in, in a lot of um commoditized agriculture, um, is that it's there's a lot of power and money concentrated um you know, you might say at the top or among very few. And so it's very consolidated. And what that means is that the small farmer has less and less power because um, somebody else is controlling, you know, a lot of the market decisions that are being made. And that in, in dairy, what that means is that the um, the price that they're getting for their, their product is lower than the cost of production. Um, so that's happening. Uh, at the same time, um, as we're seeing more corporate consolidation, um, we're seeing some of these companies uh, cancel or end their contracts with the farm. Um, and that just happened recently because um, one of the big buyers became more vertically integrated. And so they told their, some of their small farmers, oh, we don't need you anymore because we're going to have our own farms. Um, our own, you know, dairies on board, and we don't need the individual farms. Let me, if I could just interrupt for a second here, uh, a link to an article you had on your Facebook page, it discussed antitrust regulations as a way to restore more of a, a fair and balanced free market to the dairy farmer. Um, is that something you'd be potentially looking at in, in kind of what they're called New Deal era ideas? Yes. I mean, I think that, that we do need to look at that, and not just in dairy, but in, in many other sectors in our economy. It's a big problem with um, health care that we were just talking about as well. Um, we're seeing the, the slow creep of, you know, a few very big health care um, hospitals and insurance companies across our state. It's also a big problem in media. We've seen, um, you know, the news stories about Sinclair Media owning what, 60, 70% of um, TV stations in the area. Um, so over the past, you know, 20 plus years, um, we've just seen more and more consolidation of many, many things in our economy. And I think that it's, you know, there's this idea that, oh, there's a free market, but there really is not a free market because so many um, sectors are being consolidated in just a few huge corporations. Yeah, that's that's um, that's a myth. I agree. Yeah, and that goes to yeah. if I can head in a different direction now. Um, lobbyists, campaign money. I mean, the reason that these corporations can get all this consolidation done is goes through lobbying that goes through Harrisburg. How are you going to handle that? Because if you if you want to run again or if your campaign really takes off, it's going to take a lot of money. So how are you going to kind of deal with this situation? Yes. Um, so far, I've, I've raised like a little bit of money um, from my friends and family, um, both in Pennsylvania and outside of it, uh, because as I've mentioned, I've lived in all different types of places. I have family all over and they're all very supportive and excited and have donated to my campaign. Um, and I, you know, I think that that's, 
how people should do it. And it's one of those really tough issues because some people say, well, if you have to play in the system to change the system. And so they say, well, you need to take the super PAC money, you know, on a larger scale, of course, you would take this money. And then when you get in power, then you can change the rules. I mean, I'm skeptical of that. I feel like there has to be a better way. Um, and so, you know, for my campaign, I'm only going to be working with, you know, the small dollar donations from uh, my friends and family and supporters. Um, I'm not interested in, in taking money from, you know, organizations or um, the PACs. Um, you know, if, if a PAC wants to work with me, I'd, I'd appreciate, you know, their help on the ground maybe. But, like, I, I don't want to take money that's going to make me beholden to a certain point of view. And I think that, um, you know, I would like to see uh, publicly financed elections. Um, I think we need to really look at how our elections are conducted, um, especially federal elections and presidential elections, because they spend so much money and they go on for so long. And if you look at other, you know, large developed countries it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't have to be so yeah i think the uk is something like two weeks yeah it's either two or six weeks and you cannot campaign outside of that um you're you're stuck to that time period and in congressional u.s congressional seats it's just a constant campaign because the terms are only two years so right right. always generating money well that would make it tricky for you in harrisburg because ultimately you know i don't think the people who said you have to work within the system to change the system are entirely wrong um, and I think that you might find yourself, you know, looking for allies. And um, I just feel like it's hard to really be to get there without taking somebody's money. Do you think yeah, that's possible? Yeah. I hope so. I know that it is expensive, you know, to put ads on TV and like to do the billboards and all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm only one person, so I can only talk to so many people at any given you know, day or event. Um, but, you know, I hope that, um, more people get involved in, in general, not just, you know, in my campaign, but in, in politics in general, and who will spend time on it and do like the volunteer work somewhat making phone calls and knocking doors, because if we have more people who are stepping up to say, okay, I want to be involved in this process, then maybe we don't need as much money. Yeah. And let's get to that. You're out there meeting and greeting people uh, all over the state, really. What are your feelings as you talk to the voters about their level of engagement? Are they excited? Are they up on the issues? Are they despondent? You know, what 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 kind of feedback are you getting? Well, of course, you know, if I'm going to an, an event um, that, you know, of candidates meet and greet, the people who come are definitely engaged. Um, so, so far, I've been meeting with people who are interested in the process are already looped in, but in general, it seems like um, on both sides or all sides that people are getting just pretty fed up. Um, and they, they want to see um, their politicians doing something to represent them. Um, I, I think people in general feel like there's too much money in politics that the representatives, you know, in Harrisburg and in Congress both aren't thinking of like, the, their constituents back home um, and they're not doing what's best for them. And I think also I saw a study online, you know, of course it's online, who knows, but it was saying something about the um, different parties interests in compromise. And it said that both, you know, Democrats and Republicans right now are 
at their like least willing to compromise than, than ever before. But that's not really what I'm hearing people say, like individuals, when I'm talking with them about issues. I had a very interesting uh, conversation recently with um, some pretty hardcore Republicans, and we were really getting into the Second Amendment um, gun control issues. And, um, you know, we, we went back and forth a little bit in a very open and, and friendly engagement. Um, but we found some points that we definitely agreed on and that we felt would make progress. Um, to improve some of the safety issues that we've been having around guns. And I think that um, we really do need more of that type of dialogue um, of, of people who maybe and you might stereotype as disagreeing, but that, you know, when you sit down and you actually talk with people about the issues, that there, there is common ground. And, and they, you know, people want their representatives, um, you know, to address these issues and not just take votes that um that don't go anywhere uh for vanity's sake or whatever else yeah but that's on the individual level you know the old saying you know an individual can be thoughtful kind and then when we move on to the group think uh all that you know compromise becomes a dirty word so it sounds to me like you're taking a position what we'll call center left um you know willing to compromise willing to work as they say across the aisle and um, I personally find that promising, and I agree that is what is needed in order to get things done. Um, we're just about to wrap it up here. Um, I wanted to ask one question and then allow you some time to make any, give us any final thoughts. Is What do you think your chances are? Glass half full. Um, I think it's, um, you know, there's a long time between now and November. There's a primary on the Republican side. That I think get rid of some um, of will, will be interesting to see who comes out ahead. Um, and I think you know it, it really, as in every election, just comes down to turnout and how engaged voters are. And if we can, especially, sign up some new young voters in the district, because I think that you know high school kids um, who are graduating, who are eighteen. I think they're starting to get more engaged than in, in past years. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's definitely um, not seen as a super competitive race, but, you know, as long as there's there, you know, there's someone on the ballot and I'm on the ballot, you never you know what can happen. No, I totally agree. I think you've got a lot of great bona fides, you know, in, in terms of your work, your family situation, and I also feel like the electric can do anything at any time these days. I mean, we just don't know anymore. So any final thoughts you want to share with us before we wrap up? Um, I mean, my main thought is that even if my campaign is not victorious this year, um, I think that um, Democrats and, you know, any party um, in the minority needs to be organizing every year and needs to be engaged, um, needs to run candidates and make the effort to get out and talk with people and get more people um, involved in the process. Because even if you don't vote, even if you think all politicians are crooks, they're still making decisions that yeah, impact your life they every de day. Most definitely are. And, and so, you know, I really want to try to show people that like you know i'm 
a, a regular person, maybe a little bit crazy for doing this, but in general, <laughs> I have a very normal life right. um, with like everyday concerns that everyone else has. Right. Um, I'm raising a family, working full time, you know, trying to like make nice meals for the family and, and do all the things that everyone is just trying to do. And I think that like we need more people, like everyday people to run for these offices to bring, you know, real life back to our legislature, eventually back to Congress, and have people in those seats who are making decisions for the people and, and not forgetting about them. Totally um, agree. And that's and why so, I called, that's why in my monologue I mentioned the citizen candidate, because that's how you appear exactly. to me. You appear to me as a true citizen candidate. Well, yeah. I want to thank you very much. Did you have something else you want to say? No, I mean, I just you know, want people to get out there and get engaged and, and don't don't become too cynical and turned off from the process because Agreed. it can be for people again. Yeah, we can make it better. Emily, best wishes out there on the campaign trail. Keep up the good fight. Um, thank you for coming on the show today, and I'm going to turn it over to producer Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for coming on today, and we, we'll look forward to having you again before November if you would if you'd agree to come back. Yeah, and, thank uh, you again so much. You bet. Hopefully we can get you in person next time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before we go, Pete, um, I thought I'd mention the next uh, Common Grounds uh, that's going to be taking place at Sounds the library. Like they, they happen every second Saturday of the month, and uh, the next one is going to be with uh, District Attorney Matt Fogel. He'll be talking about the opioid crisis in Franklin County. And these events are put on by the Franklin County Coalition for Progress, which uh, we're a part of. And uh, they're at the library in downtown Chambersburg, up Oil. in the uh, observatory, conservatory, mm -hmm. the upper level. Um, and free coffee provided by Brussels Cafe at these. So I hear their coffee is top notch. <laughs> I hear that too. Sponsorship? I, I, right. We're also looking forward to, uh, we haven't reached out to them yet, but we're looking, looking to have uh, Brent Ottaway on in the near future. Uh, I think he's the uh, sole Democratic candidate for the uh, 13th, the new 13th Congressional District. So uh, we'll look forward to hearing from him soon. The end of the Schuster era. <laughs> yeah, apparently so, yep. So that's coming up, and uh, I guess we're going to do a Transource show. Uh, yeah, we're looking to get together so. the Transource people. It's just a logistical issue, um, but they have some, they have some uh, public commentary coming up. Uh, new Franklin Fire Hall, I believe it's May 9th. But it's an important issue, uh, especially if you're local. Uh, this yeah. is big. This yeah. is a big deal. So, yeah, those things coming up. So stay tuned, and uh, thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, search in the iTunes store for The Progress Pod. You can subscribe and rate us there. Five for, stars. <laughs> and we have our SoundCloud page. Um, how else? Uh, the best Twitter on the Internet. <laughs> find us on Pod. Twitter. At The Progress Pod. At The Progress Pod. You'll laugh. You'll cry. And you can find us at progresspod.org, which actually takes you to the uh, coalition page, but we've got a button there at the top We're you can click there. on. If you know how to use your computer properly, <laughs> you'll, you'll find, find us. us. Yep. All, right. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll right, catch thanks. you next time. Bye.